So it gives people the ability to document their experience through their phone because everything we do is through our phone. And then the data that we collect can really just help not only the consumer understand, you know, not what product, but what terpenes and cannabinoids are working best, but also it just helps the industry understand the impact of these products in the marketplace. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Otha Smith, founder and CEO of Tetragram. Otha, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Not bad. Not bad. Happy to be here. How are you guys? Doing well. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing well, you know, enjoying the snow day out here in Colorado. I'm excited to talk to another East Coaster. That's right. Guys? That's right. <laughs> and I'm glad we don't even have to get it on the record. Another East Coaster in the building. Otha, what state are you located in for our listeners? Uh, so I'm located in Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. So born and, born and raised. Let's do it. So Otha, before we dive into some of the topics today, I'd love for our listeners to get a little background about you and how you got into the space. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up, like I said, in Maryland, um, grew up in a very rural part of Maryland, actually, which is I didn't find out till later in life that it was notorious for growing cannabis. So that was kind of cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I came up through the ranks, graduated from Bowie State University with a degree in marketing um, and then went to go start my first company, which was a detailing company. So that company, actually, I started in high school and put myself through college, which was really nice. Not, no student debt here. Nice. Um, and then, unfortunately, 2008 happened. I ended up closing that business and then went to go work for Constellation Energy. And so uh, for those who don't know, Constellation Energy is one of the largest utility uh, providers in the country. Um, so I started off in a renewable space selling solar when that was really hot. And then you know, grew through the ranks and um, ended up selling electric and gas commodities in deregulated states on the East Coast. So, you know, great job, learned a lot, and then um, started seeing the advancement of cannabis across the country. And I've always been a fan. And as I said, you know, I grew up in an area that was notorious for it. Like my best friend in high school actually dropped out of high school to follow the Grateful Dead. And so that, that kind of tells you like the fabric <laughs> of people I grew up with, right? <laughs> And, you know, funny enough, his dad was a Secret Service agent, too. So he was like, what the hell is my kid doing? Um, but, yeah, so, you know, saw the cannabis industry and just jumped into it uh, head first. And, um, you know, it's been a great ride in terms of what we built with Tetragram and, you know, what we're providing to the industry. Can you tell us the origin story? You know, where did the idea come up with? And before that, you know, was this something that you had thought about prior or something that kind of sparked your interest when you when you found a need and a pain point? Yeah, so um, what got me into this industry um, and building Tetragram was really through my own personal need. Um, in 2006, I was involved in a pretty tragic car accident where I nearly lost my life. I was you know, ejected from the wheel, thrown about 100 feet, landed on my head, and uh, was pronounced actually dead on the scene. Wow. Uh, but luckily, there was a friend of mine who was in the car with me. She walked away with no issues, um, you know, bruising and so forth. But uh, she was going to school at John Hopkins to become a doctor like she is today. And so she's the one that revived me until the helicopter arrived. And I actually just got my hair cut so you can see how big this scar is. Um, you're talking about 54 staples, man. So <laughs> quite the journey. But you know, once I got out of the hospital, I was prescribed opioids and we all know how damaging and, you know, 
threatening to a person's life those can be. So I started to just get back involved in cannabis. And, you know, once Maryland opened up their medical program, I jumped at the opportunity, got my card and, you know, a little egotistical walked in there like, what do they know about weed? I know everything about cannabis. And uh, that was just not the case. I was um, learned about terpenes, cannabinoids. And I was like, you know, this is stuff you don't hear from your street dealer, right? It's just like, <laughs> I got fire or I got Reggie. And that's about it. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I realized that there was a lot to learn. And as, as I started this experimenting and talking to other people, you know, every dispensary or clinical director or customer I talked to was like, you got to keep a journal, dude. It's the only way you're going to keep track of all these products that you're trying and, you know, how are you going to remember which ones you liked and which ones you didn't? And so I basically took that concept and said, yeah, I see the, see the benefit of it. And I said, well, I can do something better and create Tetragram, which is a mobile app. So it gives people the ability to document their experience through their phone because everything we do is through our phone. And then the data that we collect can really just help not only the consumer understand, you know, not what product, but what terpenes and cannabinoids are working best. But also, it just helps the industry understand the impact of these products in the marketplace. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I really want you to expand more about the the app. And I've been on it, and I've seen the intuitiveness and the importance of it. Because as we've talked about in this podcast, it is so challenging for consumers to walk into a dispensary and to find a product that they like. But even more challenging when they come back in, if it's in a different location or a different bud tender, to find something similar. So having a resource like Tetragram to be able to provide that valuable insights and saying like, here's the items that I liked, you know, how do I find something similar is so important on that journey. So I guess going through the stages, right? Like what did the MVP look like when you first built it? And then take us from the MVP to where we are now. Yeah. So um, when we first built it, we were, we were looking around and said, so what data do we want to provide customers with the ability to enter into the product, into the system, right? Because as you guys know, of any app, you don't want to make it a homework assignment because then it's like, this is not fun. I don't want to put this stuff in here. Um, so with our MVP, we just wanted to address the most critical components of log year experience. So, you know, the MVP that we have today, we give you the consumer has the ability to enter in what product they purchase. And then after they enter in what product they purchase, we really steer them to say what terpenes and cannabinoids consist of that product. So once they enter in that information, then we allow them to say, what dispensary did you buy it from? Which is very important because, you know, through my process, when I was buying a product and I found one that I liked, you know, even within the same state, if I went 20 minutes down the street to another dispensary, they might not have that product. (laughs) And so, you know, we knew that was going to be an important field for people to uh, select. Where did I make that purchase? Um, And then very importantly, we knew that we had to give people the ability to drill down in terms of how did they consume that product. So, you know, if it was inhalation, you know, did you use a bong? Did you use a joint? And then that subcategory fills into, so what form did the product come in? Was it flour? Was it wax? Because as we know, if I use a joint as opposed to a bong, I'm going to have a completely different experience. (laughs) (laughs) If I use flour as opposed to shatter, again, I'm going to have a completely different experience. Um, So giving people the ability to drill down through that is awesome. And then they can put in like, how many hits did I take? Um, if it's orally or topically, we give them the ability to say, you know, was that a gummy? And if it was, how many milligrams did you have? Um, and then once they make that selection, then they can say, you know, what condition are you using uh, cannabis for? And so, you know, we definitely wanted to make it open architecture in the sense that 
the consumer is always driving the experience. So we do provide them with some default symptoms for them to choose from. But at the end of the day, we still give that customer the ability to enter in their own symptom. Um, and luckily, everything's still been PG-13 so far, which is nice. <laughs> um, but after they make that selection, then they can uh, rate that product. So, you know, how effective was it? You know, how long did it last? Uh, what was the flavor of it? And they could include pictures, too, because, you know, one of the things that I did and I saw a lot of people do was they would actually keep the label or the jar of the product that they liked. And especially if it was a product they didn't like. So they remember, all right, that product right there, don't buy that again. Um, so we definitely wanted to give people the ability to take pictures and include that into in the platform as well. And then after they do that, then they can write whatever notes they want. And I mean, I'll be honest, like I've seen some of these notes be paragraphs long in terms of the way people are just describing the effects of these products. So it's, it's always cool to watch. And then, you know, they hit save session and they're able to either keep that session exclusive to themselves um, or they can share it anonymously across the platform. And that's that's something that was always dear to my heart in the MVP is to give people the ability to share their experiences with other people anonymously. Um, you know, I think cannabis is by far the most communal plant in the world. You know, rarely is someone smoking by themselves or just enjoying an edible or anything by themselves. It's always somewhere where someone else is around and we're enjoying it together. Um, and so given that this is an industry where there's so much that is still unknown in terms of the effects, we knew that that was going to be important in the MVP to allow people to share those reviews anonymously so that if I go into a dispensary and I see a product that catches my eye, I can go to Tetragram and see if someone's written a review about it. And then if they have, great, then that gives me a little bit more ammunition to decide whether or not I should make that purchase um, or if I'm looking at it from a medical perspective as well. So it's it's I got to be honest, man, like it's it's scaled dramatically. Like we built this and we put it out during uh, July 10th, 2020. So like right at the height of COVID. And I was just like, do we put it out or do we keep it and uh, wait till this blows over? And, you know, after several conversations with other people and especially the medical community, they were like, oh, now is the best time to launch it because people are more doubting than ever before about their health. And so you know, over the course of what's been a year and a half, Touchagram is now scaled to being promoted in more than 137 dispensary locations across the country. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's it's been remarkable. And we haven't put a dime into advertising or marketing the product. It's just all been through, you know, our dispensary partners, medical professionals and so forth that really see the value in this. Has it been uh, just insanely impactful for uh, medical patients to be able to have this record and go back to doctors and be like, this is what I've been using. And then they can kind of work together in some of those like experiences that they're having from certain products. Have you found that from conversations with some of the, the users? Oh, absolutely, Kellen. I mean, that's one of the things that's, you know, being an entrepreneur isn't easy, right? And then you add tech and one to it and it's like a, a double whammy, right? But uh you know, that's one of the things that keep, keeps me and my team motivated is like we get emails or people who hit us up on IG and they're like, dude, this app has helped me so much or it's helped my father understand what products are working more effectively. Because, I mean, let's face it, like cannabis is not cheap. And I know I spent thousands of dollars in order to find the right product, right dosing amount, right form for it to come in. 
And so we're able to expedite that process for other people. Um, that makes that makes me incredibly happy. I mean, we get calls about when is when's this guy? Uh, I just had an email yesterday. When are you bringing this to Norway? When are you bringing this to Brazil? I'm just like, <laughs> this is nuts, man. <laughs> That's so cool, though. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I uh, I made the mistake, and when a guy hit me up about Norway, I was like, oh my god, we're going international. Let me ship you some swag, and I shipped them like a T-shirt and some rolling trays, all Tetragram branded. And the damn packaging costs more than the swag. It was like seventy dollars to ship it to Norway, but I'm like, we're doing it. <laughs> I love it. The community aspect is just so important, and especially from here, from an East Coast standpoint, where you know my parents. I, that's why I think about it. And exactly like you said, the the products that they get now, they have no idea what they're consuming. Right? Someone drops it off, and then he's like, oh, it's an indigo sativa, and that's how my parents have identified the type of products they're getting. But when they can go into a dispensary. The strain name is going to be a problem for them because they'll lean on that as the type of, you know, I want the the gorillas or the cookies. And that's great. But if they don't have that product, then what? Right. And now they've got to make a blind guess. And I know you've put a lot of thought into that process. And I think your app solves a really big problem and a really big need for the industry of helping bridge the gap from an educational standpoint. Yeah, I mean, 100 percent. I mean, you know, the, one of the core things about Tetragram is, you know, so we have a tagline, track, rate, and power. And, and we live by that because if you tr- keep track of what you're using, you rate the effectiveness of it, it's going to empower you at the end of the day because you're going to know more. And the same thing, if you, you take that and you just balloon it into like this whole community, this industry, that's what we're doing. Everyone needs to keep track and rate it and then share it so that we can learn from each other. And it's totally an educational tool. Like uh, there was a report that came out a couple of months ago, I'm sure you guys saw it where it was like 45% of people do not feel confident that their doctor knows enough about cannabis to make a recommendation. And so we can change that by providing these physicians with the data that they need so that they can be more consultative with their patient. Um, and, you know, the last thing I want or anybody wants for that matter is my mom, your mom to go into a dispensary and say, hey, I got <laughs> chronic joint pain. And next day, you know, they're leaving out with like RSO. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it's like, that is not the answer here because chances are my mom is going to have a negative experience and she's going to tell 10, 15 other people about it. And then the stigma, the negative stigma of cannabis stays alive. Yeah, that that, that multiplies pretty quickly, especially with the, the women demographic. They're pretty good at spreading the, the bad information. So yeah. continuing on, like terpenes and cannabinoids, one of the challenges that we found so far is that when people walk into a dispensary, there's so many pieces of, of the puzzle, right? When asking a question, I want an edible, I want flour. So from a terpenes and cannabinoids, if they're not available directly at the, the bud tender level or on the product label, what do you recommend? How does that experience happen? It's tough. I mean, there's really, um, you're really at a loss. I mean, when I, when I travel around the country, like I'm fortunate here in Maryland, every product is, it was legislated that every product has to have the terpenes and cannabinoids listed on the product. So, you know, I've become very spoiled to it. And plus I, I just understand the importance of knowing that information, but you know, I travel around the country and that's not the case. And I don't know what to buy, you know, and it really just boils down. It's that simple. Um, we're starting to see some manufacturers start to take the initiative and do it on their own. Um, and QR codes have, you know, come back from the dead due to COVID. So we're starting to see that being applied to products too. 
But there's um, there's no clear cut answer when you don't have that information. You're really making a, a, a decision very blindly, very blindly. So it's something that's key to my heart. And I think with the data that we're collecting, you know, because one of the things I'm doing is speaking to these state regulators because they want to understand the impact that these products that are being sold in their state is having on that population. Well, let's drive that even further. Like, yeah, you like the data that we're collecting and providing now, but we can provide so much more robust data if you made it so that that terpene and cannabinoid information was present. We could draw better conclusions. Yeah, and I think, the, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, dive in. I was just going to say, I think the terpenes are probably the most underappreciated aspect of cannabinoids, at least from like a consumer education standpoint. Like there's just so many states that don't uh, require the terpene concentrations to be included in the product labels. Why not? I I think it's a lot, right? Like there's just a lot of different terpenes, right? So like I'm not familiar with the quantity of terpenes that are required in Maryland. But I mean, there can be over a hundred different terpenes. And so like being able to concisely communicate like those concentrations, which some of them are going to be in like less, most of them are in less than a percent. So you're dealing with like 0.2%, 0.1%. So like, and then potentially upwards of 60 different chemicals, right? So like being able to put that in a graph and communicate it in a concise manner on a label is very, very challenging. Like it is, it's very hard from a marketing perspective. And I just haven't seen a ton of, I mean, I've seen companies take it on, on the West coast, just like um, on their own fruition. Right. But they, there is no law mandating terpene testing um, requirements, at least in Colorado and in California. Yeah. I mean, and you know, in Massachusetts where that's where I'm at right now, um, you know, if you want to get a terpene testing, it's like an extra 25 bucks. And, yeah. you know, we all know how these how, how these companies, I mean, you know, no one's really making money right now. So they want to keep those that bottom line as thin as possible. So, you know, extra $25 doesn't sound like much. But when you're talking about thousands of products, you know, that stuff starts to add up. But, you know, to your point, Kellen, like you're exactly right. Like there are I mean, I think there's over 200 different cannabinoids, but, you know, I think we should at least take the initiative of highlighting the ones that are most commonly found every time that have yeah. the most substance um, and lead that way. And I think, well, like we said, this is all about education. I mean, terpenes by far, I totally agree with you guys is, the, in my opinion, the, the most fun about aspect about cannabis, because people are always like, man, that smells funky. Well, you're talking about a terpene, <laughs> you know? Uh or man, that tastes weird. You're talking about a terpene, you know? So let's understand that so that we can, you know, talk more intelligent about it and just have an enriched experience, you know? The craziest part about that whole statement is that like, they're like the forgotten piece of the puzzle where everyone can acknowledge that they smell it and they taste it. But when you ask them what that actually is, they're not really sure. And like, that's such a driving factor, right? The first thing, at least that I've seen when people get flour, they want to smell it, right? And then they're wondering, they're like, oh my God, that smells smells amazing. And you're not smelling THC, which I think most people want to believe that they are, right? I mean, but that's got to be such a wild experience. So when you're talking to these dispensaries and some of these lawmakers and you're trying to educate them on the importance of tracking this information, is that something that, that, that proves to be kind of challenging in the aspect that they seem unfamiliar with the importance of terpenes? No, it's not foreign to them. A majority of them, they do understand it. But like, but like Kellen said, they're just like, well, how much do we put on a label? How much right. should we be testing for? And again, I just all draw back to there's 
a, you know, there's a top 10, there's a top five in any industry. So let's just look at that top five of cannabinoids, that top five of terpenes, and let's at least start there. I mean, that's, that's where it gets frustrating for me. It's like, we got to at least start somewhere. Don't try to, a majority of these state regulators are like, well, once we got it all figured out, then we'll start to move forward. And it's like, this industry moves too quick to do that. <laughs> so fast. So fast. How many terpenes, how many terpenes are, are required uh, to list in Maryland? Is it 10? Uh, so the top one, so at least 10. Okay. 10 terpenes. Yeah. And I think there's probably like, like three that are really critical to, or at least that people have planted a flag in the ground to kind of differentiate indica, sativa, and hybrid is like what, right. linalum and myrcene and maybe one other. I'm not sure. Yeah. So like for me personally, like, you know, I wake up every morning, the birds are chirping. I, I'm, I got music playing in my head. I love so, it. You know, I don't need anything that is high in pinene yeah. uh, or limonene. Like those, Why not? You know, I've been able to drill that in and say those is spur anxiety and it is getting me like, like go, go gadget, you know, it's like, <laughs> so I, I use more so the indicas, if you will, which are high in myrcene, linanol, and beta caryophylline. Like those are sedative qualities and they, they just gel well with my endocannabinoid system. Do That's you so think, do you think people maybe in the future will use the terpenes as the product selector when they're walking in versus let's say cannabinoid content? hundred percent. It will, it will happen. Um, if you look at, uh, like certain States, like I found out like Connecticut doesn't allow any product names at all. So if you were to buy a product in Connecticut, you cannot go in there and say, I want blue dream. You have to go in there and say, I want, Sativa 2.96, whatever. <laughs> so very, very bizarre, but they're they're really they're using not the best approach to guide people to terpenes and cannabinoids as opposed to this the you know the name of the product. Because I mean, let's face it, I mean, I don't want to smoke anything that's called green crack. I mean, come on. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, it's a hard sell, honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Chernobyl. Like, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> hard pass for me. So let's so. talk about some of your users. I'm curious to know, since you started, have you seen bigger adoption in certain states as they've kind of come online? Have, can you kind of correlate or share some information about that? Yeah, I mean, by far our biggest state is uh, of users is Maryland, just because this is our sandbox. So sure. I got my face planted everywhere. But um, Ohio, Illinois is really big. Uh, Massachusetts is really big for us as well. Um, those are growing. And, and you know what, Missouri is actually starting to take off, too. Um, and a lot of that is tied to our, our dispensary partners like Curely, for example, has a, a big national footprint. Uh, GTI has a big footprint in Ohio and Illinois. Um, and then we have like Vireo, which is you know really big in like New Mexico and so forth. So, you know, I can't thank our partners enough, our dispensary partners for helping us plant this flag and make people aware um, but then it's also, I got to give a lot of credit to, you know, the medical side of it. So like green health docs, which is a, uh, online cannabis medical certification company, you know, they have a lot of their tentacles, brick and mortars, um, throughout the country. And so that's, that's helpfully a lot of, uh, advancement of users in other States as well. How does the partnership work with the big MSOs? Uh, so right, so right now with our MVP, it's just, um, you know, for one, we're saving them a lot of money on paper. So, sure. 
you know, they're no longer making uh, these journals or having that expenditure there. And so, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. But at the end of the day, like each dispensary that we work with has our display, like a small acrylic display, our flyers in the store. Um, and then some dispensaries like Cureleaf actually have our a commercial virus that plays while you're in the store. So um, that's really cool. And then uh, some states have, you know, medical directors on staff. So they're actively recommending Tetragram to customers that they do their consultations. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, selecting the right product is so critical. And if you don't have someone there to handhold you or to make the right informed decision, you could have a really off-putting experience. So, Kellen, from your standpoint, I'm curious to know your perspective. Obviously, being on the West Coast and a little more of a mature market, obviously the need is slightly different because the consumer is a little more educated, but I still see a ton of value in that. Do you think the adoption of Tetragram could, could happen faster as, let's say, the cannabinoids and the terpenes become more important to track? I think it's going to reach like a critical point because I think that even in Colorado, right? Like it's kind of annoying because you walk into any dispensary and even the bud tenders and everyone now have had it drilled into their mind that THC potency is king, right? So like you're talking about one string or the other and the fallback for every bud tender is always like, oh, well, this one actually tested 4% higher. You know what I mean? And, And that is absolutely the worst way to be educating consumers, but it is literally from a sales perspective, it's the only thing that a lot of these blood tenders have found to like put a a metric on to measure the difference between this strain and that strain, which it's wrong, right? We all know that. And so I think that as these, as Tetragram kind of reaches a critical mass point, it's going to become the standard way of choosing products in the future, right? Because I mean, just like Otho said, there's specific terpenes that really don't buy with him in in any time during the day. And it's the same way with me. And it's just, I haven't been able to identify it, right? And I guarantee it's the same with everyone out there. It's that there's certain strains and certain chemicals that really throw your endocannabinoid system off. And if you don't have any measurable metrics to determine that, you're just like, huh, could have been what I ate that day. Who knows? Maybe 29% isn't my thing. Maybe I need a a 31% uh, strain, right? And so I think that there's still so much opportunity to change how consumers make their decisions in a dispensary. And I think that it needs to change because... I mean, people don't go into an alcohol store and buy beer because this beer has 3% more alcohol in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's just yeah. like, everyone is not drinking Everclear. Like, it's just not a thing, right? <laughs> like, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a great analogy, man. You're exactly right. Like, it's just, you know, people got to understand, like, even though this industry seems, you know, it's a big industry, you know, you see the money that is being made and so forth, but we are still like, we're, I always say we're a startup inside of a startup, right? Yes. And so there is so much more that needs to be learned and uh, and understood. And we'll get to a point, like like you said, Kelly, where it's critical mass, where, you know, we're going to help lead that that, that frontier of learning that uh, there's a different way to shop. But, you know, people such as yourselves are going to help with that, that message too. So, I mean, I go, I tell people all the time, my favorite strain um, is only 14% TAC, man. You know, but it's all about the terpenes and the cannabinoids. So, you know, I always tell people that that TAC, you're always going to get high, whether it's 14 percent, 30 percent. But it's those terpenes what make you feel like, man, I'm so relaxed or I'm feeling so creative. It's because that's what's really working. 
are people surprised when you when you say that? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, some some people are more tolerable than others when you tell them. They're just like, "Are you serious?" I'm like, "I'm dead ass serious." But <laughs> um, you know, I, I can tell them where to grow. If they're in Maryland, I can tell them what grower has my particular strain. That is, I love it to death. Um, but it, for some, it's easy. For others, it's, it's still hard for them to wrap their heads around because this culture has been built on how potent it is, and you know, it's slowly changing. Yeah, the the more the the merrier for some people. So like the high, they they correlate the higher the THC, the higher they'd like to be. And and right now it shows the inexperience in the consumer. But I think I'm with you 100. I think that'll change pretty pretty drastically. I also I also think it's really going to be a powerful force for the market as a whole, right? Because we were talking about people going in and having a, a bad experience. Once they figure out the right way to go in and make these decisions. You're going to have re, uh, returning customers. You're going to have happier customers who then are going to spread the message and really help kind of destigmatize the cannabis industry as a whole. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're really, I mean, with the data, I mean, we're going to go in a number of ways, but, you know, we can really establish the first ranking system. I mean, you guys know there might be, I don't know, 600 people growing Blue Dream. But each 600 of those blue dreams are going to be inherently different. Yep. And some of it is not even going to be blue dream at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we can use this data to show, like, you know, Kelly, your blue dream is selling off the charts compared to my blue dream. <laughs> or <laughs> Brian's blue dream is like a fast leader, a fast second. You know, what is it about your genetics, your growing techniques that is giving you that yield? And that is making people receptive to it and aligning better with their endocannabinoid system. So, you know, it is really drilling it down to that molecular level so that people step their game up or they get out of the industry. It's such a game changer when people find the right product. For a while, I was consuming whatever I could get my hand on because here in New York, it was harder, harder than it was. And Kellen had sent me a care package during COVID and I like unlocked all these different products that, that sparked creativity. And it was such a, un, like an enlightening experience that I found things that were awesome. I could consume during the day. I could feel creative. I could still process my work and I can only hope for others to kind of find that, that enlightenment. And I, and I think with your app, people will be closer to that step because they'll have the ability to learn from others and understand that there are other products outside of just high THC that might be influential for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, right now I'm working on version two and uh, version two is our flagship model. I mean, this MVP that we built, I mean, we built it in about like five months. And so, you know, That's version two, we've been working on for the last couple the last year and a half, you know, so we never stopped. When version one went out, we went back to the drawing board and started on version two. And, you know, I can't talk about all the goodies, but, you know, we're, we're going to make it so much easier for, I can share this, like, so machine learning, right? Like, as you start to log your sessions in the Tetragram, we'll actually tell you what products are meeting your needs and then tell you what products are in your surrounding area based upon your geo that match your profile. And so, you know, a lot, a lot of great stuff coming. A lot of great stuff. That was on my list of questions to ask. Because my, <laughs> I mean, that the like recommendation machine based on the data you're collecting is really going to be the key to, to unlocking some of these things. Because for me now, I drive five or 10 minutes down the road for like the local dispensary. But... If I knew a product I wanted more was 45 minutes, I wouldn't even hesitate to go there because it's it's a completely different experience. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we we also are looking at like these uh, uh, delivery companies, right? Because, you know, that way 
the delivery companies are doing the consumer just the just as much an injustice as the, the dispensaries in the sense that you go to a delivery app and you say, all right, I want to buy X, Y, and Z products and have them delivered to me. You don't, you never, you didn't have that human exchange to understand what that product might be potentially good for. You know, a lot of these delivery platforms don't have reviews on them, and if their reviews are very generic, and so you know, with us being able to say well, Kellen, you like these products and you're on that delivery platform. Why should you be presented with all these products that don't meet your needs? You should only be presented with products that match your profile so that you can make better choices um, and just have more availability of what might be out there that fits your, your, uh, your tailored approach. Is the lack of standardized product labels, is it a state-by-state state problem or is it a, like a global problem for, for Tetragram when they're kind of building out the next version of the model? Yeah, it's a global problem. Um, you know, it's it's very frustrating to know that, like, here in Maryland, I can try, provide that user experience through our application where that information is right there readily available. But then if you go, I don't know, to Virginia, it's like, oh, well, you know, you can't navigate through the app as effectively because you don't have that information. So it's really tough. And that's, um, you know, one of the things if I had spare time, I mean, I'm starting a nonprofit called Show Me the T's and C's, man. And it's all about show me the terpene and cannabinoids so that we can elevate that voice of why this needs to be a standardized approach across the country. You know, you're seeing COAs being pirated from other companies because they don't want to get it tested. And so, you know, it's another way to validate who are creating products that are clean and tested um, as opposed to those who aren't. And just like kind of piggybacking off that, if you're in a state that doesn't have that information available and you log on to Tetragram, you're probably looking for that information, right? The, the terpenes and the other cannabinoids. And now you're kind of frustrated because you're like, I don't understand where this is. And I don't understand why Tetragram is asking me for this. And then it kind of puts the consumer in a very weird situation of like, hey, is it Tetragram's fault or is it the dispensary's fault? So then again, it, I guess it's more of like education. So how do we kind of move that forward? Do you have like an FAQ section on the the side of saying like, hey, this might not be available for all states. Yeah, so that's something we'll definitely be uh, tickling with moving forward because, I mean, we did it. So, you know, when you build out technology, you build it so that subconsciously the user is asking themselves those exact questions. Like, why is Tetragram asking this? Uh, evidently, this must be important information. And then our goal through that subconscious is for you to go to the dispensary and be like, hey, they're asking this. Why, why don't I have access to it? So... At the end of the day, consumers drive anything. And so the more consumers that start their acts for that COA or that testing information, the more these companies are going to have to get on board and say, all right, well, you know, they're asking for it. We got to start providing it. But with version two, we'll definitely be doing some things to say, this is why we're asking this question so that it, it helps people understand even more so. Yeah, that's like a, a many to many problems on like a different level that I think most have even considered. Right. So everything is harder in cannabis. What is one challenge you found when building this app that the average person wouldn't know about a challenge? Uh, easily. Uh, get it in it on the App Store and the Google Play Store. <laughs> I mean, that was a nightmare. Um, just because, you know, cannabis and now, you know, what it was about a week ago, two weeks ago, Apple was like, oh, we're opening cannabis apps on our store now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we went through that gauntlet. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, just to put it in reference, um, so Apple took, a, I want to say a couple, I want to say like three months before we got approval to put it on the App Store, um, as opposed to uh, Android being this open architecture. They were like, two weeks, oh, you're, you're good. You can get onto the store. Um, but, you know, one of the things that was beneficial to us is making sure that Tetragram was HIPAA compliant. Because again, I'm a patient. My two business partners are patients, so we take security extremely serious. And, you know, we knew that we wanted that HIPAA compliant piece in there just to make people feel comfortable in utilizing the application. But, you know, by far, just getting it onto those platforms was was a no small feat. Was there a time when you're going through the process, you thought, hey, like they might not accept us because Apple sometimes is kind of flippy floppy with their policy. So I wasn't sure if going through this, you were like, hey, we submitted everything. Is it just trying to cross your fingers, hope for the best, or was there more to it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've spent more money on lawyers than I've ever thought I'd ever dream of in my lifetime. And so, uh, (laughs) you know, and that's what really boils down to is having the right team who can, you know, provide the right information the way that Apple wants to see it, right? And so there was a little bit of skepticism, like, is this going to happen? But we did see that there were other companies um, who were doing something similar to us that were already on. So we knew it was a possibility. We just had to be, we had to be uh, strategic and ready for whatever came our way. I mean, just, um, you know, just to again, put it in context, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Tetragram was off the app store for about six days. And that's because we had to do, submit some additional information, renew our membership and some other stuff. So, you know, six days is, that's critical when you're talking about an app where so many people are trying to download it. And I didn't even find out until someone sent me an Instagram post. It was like, I can't download it. What's happening? And the first thing I said was, well, are you outside the U.S.? They're like, no, I'm, I'm in New Jersey. I'm like, damn. All right. So, <laughs> you know, it made us look into it and figure out what that issue was. Yeah, I can't even imagine how challenging it is to wake up and to realize that the app that is currently there is no longer available. And I I guess that's Apple just asking for like a little uh, grease the wheels there, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell us a little bit more. We need an update. You know? yeah, a little bit of a check, too, would be nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> round paper bag money. <laughs> and no one needs to know. Just increase your storage space for your digital stuff, and we'll make that work real quick. So <laughs> we connected at MJ Biz, and I want to talk about social equity and the diversity in the space. As one of the leaders of one of the fastest growing industry, what do you want to see some of the other MSOs doing to help kind of make more of an inclusion in the space? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're, they're off to a pretty good start. They can always do more. And like we talked talked on when we were chatting at MJ BizCon, like I've gone to MJ BizCon every year for the last like five, six years, uh, with the exception for the hiccup of COVID. And so you know, I could honestly say, like, when I first started going, you know, there was a handful of people of color at, at that event, which attacks like 30,000. So it was this, it was disgusting to see. Um, but it has been really refreshing to see how last year we went. I'm just like, oh, my God, like, it's really blossomed. And, uh, you know, not only is that because more minorities, like, we're getting into this regardless. Uh, but you are starting to see a lot more social equity initiatives being taken by you know, like I can use Curly for example, they have the Rooted in Good program. And so it's all about utilizing, you know, their resources as a minority, utilizing their resources because they understand, you know, I mean, building a company is not cheap. And some of these things that you need in order to do so, these tools are very expensive. And so Curaleaf opens up their, their wallet and says, what is it that you need? And then they, they work to try to get you whatever you need so you can be successful. Um, I haven't really seen that that program 
uh, replicated by other MSOs. So I think um, they're really a poster child on that. Um, but we are starting to see MSOs, you know, supporting with sponsorships and stuff like that. But, you know, that's all fine and dandy, but it needs to go further. Like you need to hire people now that, you know, the entry level, you need to hire people who are come from different backgrounds and different uh, ethnicities and put them into these VP and these director roles because, you know, it's all about having a team where everyone has a unique perspective so that this person is seeing something that that person isn't seeing so that we can draw the best, the best outcome possible. Yeah, I think uh, diversity breeds innovation too, right? I mean, it's well documented across every single company and all the studies I've read. So, I mean, and especially in an industry that has to change and adapt as quick as we do. I mean, you want the most diverse team possible. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, I, I tell people like, by only being by there only being three percent minorities in this space, it's just disgusting because you know this industry was built off of minorities, and instead of us being called MSOs, we were called kingpins, right? And so, I mean, let's be real. And so, you know, that needs to change. And uh, you know, I think over time, as long as people stay active on the issue, we 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 have a chance here. I think it's. Perfectly said. I, I just want to change the topic quick. I'm shocked no one's brought Kingpin up as a company name because that, that would have been a pretty one to kind of partner off. But you said that and I was like, you're right, dude. Like, I can't believe no one's utilized that to kind of position forward because you'd be taking a lot of the, the underground love and bring it to the forefront. And people would recognize that pretty quickly and, and might lean on that. So I'm curious to know if someone kind of hears that, steals that from a branding standpoint, puts that on the shelf. Yeah, that's kind of funny, Brian. I just thought about it myself. Like, damn, I don't think anybody's got a company. I'm just thinking the same. And we've seen so many brand names where people kind of lean on like the legacy market, and nobody's nobody's used that. So we might have to edit that part out and keep that just between the three of us. I'm about to say edit that. (laughs) (laughs) The two phone calls, real quick. (laughs) Yeah, LLC started. So, since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? People think you can get into this industry and make money right away. It's like, that is the biggest misconception. And I'm sorry, like if someone comes to me and they and they say, I want to get into this industry and the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, I see this as a way to get rich quick. You have just downgraded yourself in terms of my eyes dramatically. Um, because, I mean, you look at people, I mean, this industry has a long history of injustice and you know, there's a lot of people who have risked it all. I mean, gone to jail, done time for growing this amazing plant that has such a medicinal benefit. So, you know, when you get into this industry, you need to be, one, appreciative of people who have come before you. And two, does understand, have an intimate understanding of the value of this plant. And so that's the biggest misconception that I feel is that people think they can get in and make money right away. I tell people, like, have you heard of 280E? <laughs> um, all these companies, large or small, who are showing this money that they're bringing in, that money's coming in and it's going right out the door to Uncle Sam. You know, I think there's maybe only, what, a couple companies, and those are the, the large MSOs that are somewhat profitable, but those it's very, very thin margins. So I think that's the thing that people need to understand, that this is uh, an industry where it's a long play, and you have to be very passionate in order to be successful in it. Beautifully said. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation, what would it be? Uh, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Um, understand what you're good at, what your skill set is that you've 
obtain through your career outside of cannabis and just apply it to this industry because this industry needs everything. Um, it's such an infant industry. I mean, you guys see it. You go to any convention, any network event, it's the same people talking every time. And that just goes to show you how much growth there is in this industry and how small it really is once you're in the, in the network. Um, so I, I just always see people who are like, hey, I want to be a cultivator. Have you ever grown even tomatoes? No. <laughs> it's like even in your closet. <laughs> exactly. I was like, you don't understand how complex this plant is and to grow it. I mean, it takes years of understanding. So again, don't try to do something you're not good at. Take what you're good at already and apply it to this industry. And that's the only way you're really going to, not the only way, but it's going to give you the highest probability rate of being successful. I think that's so important. And for me, who's on the East Coast, for the longest time, I was doing all the shows out on the West Coast. And everyone, obviously, the experience there and the educational level is a little more advanced. And then I did a few shows here on the East Coast. And so many people had wide-eyed optimism about joining the industry just based on experience X that they think translates and how quickly they think they'll be able to capture market share. And I, and I almost felt bad being the pessimist and telling them it, it is so much harder than you ever even anticipated. And the roadblocks and the challenges that you don't foresee are the ones that are actually going to cripple you. And, and I felt terrible, like not sharing that information, but also like wanting to share it because there's such this challenge of information gap and, and limits placed on the industry itself. And I, I think the points that you've raised today are really, really critical. And I hope a lot of the East Coast listeners, you know, take that as a main takeaway. Yeah, East Coast all day, baby. There it is. Oh, Beast Coast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I learned that recently. All right, prediction time. Otha, who is the most responsible for education in the cannabis space? Is it MSOs, bud tenders, consumers, or individuals like yourself? I don't know. I, I'd, I'd like to say it's like all of the above. I could throw another one in there because, you know, we all work together for the same thing, right? Which is to know more about this plant. Um, I definitely, if I were to, if I had to pick, I would say the cultivators, the MSOs, the ones who are making these products because they're the ones who have all, who have had predominantly, most of them have had the mindset that Let's just grow this product, this strain, let's make this packaged product and put it in the marketplace without doing any R&D because people love weed and they'll buy it regardless. Um, that is such a, such a disadvantage for everyone in the ecosystem, right? And so um, they definitely have a lot of onus on this and they have to lead that charge more than anyone else and do the R&D so that we can understand the impact of these products. Kellen? Hey, <laughs> I think right now the the truth of the matter is the bartenders are the ones that have the most face time, I guess, with consumers. So that's where I would say most consumers are obtaining their information to make their decisions right now. Um, but I think a lot of it, honestly, is is on consumers. I think consumers have to be able to step up and understand that this industry is brand new, right? Like you watched it become legal as a consumer. And so I think the responsibility is partially on the consumers to educate themselves, right? I mean, they don't even, they, I'm going to say this again, but they don't even teach the endocannabinoid system in medical school, right? So you're going to be starting at the same starting line as your doctor when you're opening these conversations if your doctor hasn't investigated into cannabis at all in his career. So I think it, it's a split right now between you need to be responsible for doing your own research 
And unfortunately, bud tenders are going to, uh, I would say probably the majority of bud, ten, bud tenders are going to educate you to try to push a specific product, um, which is just sales in general, right? Like that's what their job is. So what do you think, Brian? I'm 100% in agreement with you, Callan. It's all on consumers, right? You walk into a dispensary, you're making the purchase, you're an adult, you need to, to understand what you're purchasing. And I think, you know, tools like Tetragram provide a valuable resource, but you need to use the resource in order to educate yourself, right? Like you can you can help people and you can tell people, here, enter this information. It's like a journaling system so they can make recommendations. But if you don't utilize the app to its full functionality, you're kind of missing pieces of the puzzle. And then you're kind of left in the in the dark again. So again, it's up to the consumer to understand and to give themselves like a, a basic level of, of education, but then to utilize tools like you've built to help them succeed in the space. And yes, it's probably all the above, but at the end of the day, you know, we're adults making adult decisions and it's up to the consumer, in my opinion, to make that right choice. Yeah, yeah you're 100% right. I mean, I, I agree now that I think about it even more so. Like, you know, that's why we built it. Like you have to take the power and put it in your own hands. I mean- you know, if this was legal, then it'd be like, you go to the doctor and you say, hey, doctor, you know, my back is hurting. What does the doctor do? He's the one who makes his recommendation, take this Tylenol, but he's the one journaling your experience next time you come back and he's asking you how that Tylenol felt. Um, given that we're in this illegal gray market, um, when it comes to the legality of it, you have to be the doctor and document your use. Right. And like, think about if someone walks into like a, a liquor store and they're like, yeah, I want booze. And they're like, well, that's great. Like you're in the right store. Like, congratulations. Like, what would you like? You know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of what it's like. <laughs> Someone's like, I want to get high. And they're like, cool. Like, welcome. Like, right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's priceless. <laughs> so Otha, for those that want to get in touch, they want to learn more, where can they reach you and where can they download your app? Absolutely. So the app can be downloaded on Apple or Android at the Google Google Play Store, um, Apple Store, and it's the Tetragram app. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. Uh, Instagram is the Tetragram, the, the Tetragram app. Facebook is the Tetragram app. Um, Twitter, since we had our Twitter account shut down, we had to redo that one. <laughs> so that's app Tetragram. This industry, gotta right? Be creative. So <laughs> gotta be creative. Yeah, we'll link them all up in the show notes too. Yeah, hundred percent. And then, um, you know, anyone who wants to reach me personally, you can either do it through the website or, you know, I'm always on LinkedIn. Um, keep that page open every day when I'm on the computer. So, you know, feel free to hit me up uh, through that as well. O T H A last name Smith. Thanks so much for your time, Alpha. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This was a blast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.